0: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti along with Thomas Frank Carr. And this is quarter number one of our show, brought to you by... 409tailgateclub.com. You know that they have those great barbecue rubs, the sauces, the Bloody Mary mix. Now they are introducing their coffee barbecue rubs. They are fantastic. There's actually three different choices. You're going to love them all. Trust me, because I've tried them all. And if you're interested, just head on over to 409tailgateclub.com and you can see all of their great products, including the new Coffee barbecue rubs. T. Frank, our collegiate football season is finally over, which means we get to start our off-season discussions before we start talking Penn State personnel moves. How about that college football championship game?
2: uh we were talking pre uh show of how little of it i watched you know because <laughs> i made the joke yesterday on the live show this is your watch-along party for the the for the for the national championship game because who wants to watch georgia blow out tcu on their own and I, you know <laughs> because i'm on air i'm not watching the game but uh i wasn't far off I, when we when i got to the game it was 24 to seven. And then we went to bed after three more Georgia touchdowns, which was only like the start of the third. <laughs> I don't even know at this point, I don't even know at this point where like uh where the score ended. I just know it was definitely Georgia. Well, at one point when
1: it was 10 to seven and the, um, uh... Georgia defense blew the coverage and TCU had a long game and eventually scored the touchdown to make it 10-7. I thought, Oh good. This is going to be just like the semifinal games. It's going to go back and forth, high scoring game. Lots of fun. I was wrong. It was not that. Anyway, we do have a definitive number one team. Let's put it that way. There should be no controversy. With that
2: said, I Let's look up things. the score. Ah, ah, oh, this is... <laughs> oh, Ooh, that's bad. Oh, but that's exactly what everyone expected to do.
1: What's funny. I told you this also pregame. There was a, a sportscaster many, many years ago, whenever there was a game like this, he would always say something to the effect. If you had TCU and 57 points, my friend, you still lost your bet, so that was this uh, this game definitely a blowout. But but we still have Penn State football conversation for this week. It is postseason. This is the time when there's all the personnel moves. You have players coming in, players going out. Who better to discuss these moves than Thomas Frank Carr, the expert on everybody? Let's start with the players coming in. First Mm -hmm. off, the guy with the All-American name, Storm Duck, a cornerback from North Carolina, pretty good size, uh, T. Frank, listed at six foot, 205 pounds. Um, I believe he has two years left, a normal year and a COVID year. Mm -hmm. What's Penn State getting with Storm Duck?
2: So uh, this is this is the reality of my life is that um, on Monday, I just finished up the film study for the Rose Bowl game. Um, Now, this is great for radio. But as Jim can see behind me, I'm in a completely different room for my studio. I I spent this weekend being a human instead of just plugged into the Internet watching film. Uh, So I I haven't fully done Storm Ducks film study yet, but I have seen enough to give you an opinion. So I just want to like. Some of these things may be not totally 100% correct, but they're in the ballpark. As you mentioned, physical, strong. um, You know, if we were going to say boundary or field, he's definitely a boundary body type where he's, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't have the length of a Joey Porter Jr., but he plays with physicality and uh, that kind of press man mentality where he would be a boundary corner. Um, So he brings that to the table. Good feet, good speed, I think, in a in a straight line direction. Um, Really good, I think, overall player, good awareness in a bad system. And that was kind of some of the stuff I want to dig into is how many bad situations was he put into based on, uh you know, kind of the, the situation he was presented with. And let me give you a quick example. It's fourth and three against, I think, FAU, and he's playing a cover three, which means he's responsible for a deep third of the field. But it's fourth and three. And uh, he played a lot in in a type of technique, um, a a bail technique, essentially, where his butt is to the sideline and you're defending. You're basically half turned to run deep in your deep third coverage. But I'm going to say again, it was fourth and three. So when the receiver runs a stop route at the at the sticks, he can't trigger downhill to get the stop and they convert. And like that goes on his record as he gave up that pass. But. He was not in a good position to make that play, but in that you know, watching those those are the situations I think where I I think he has the most work to do is transitioning at the top of his break. So he's got to mirror receivers better and explode more with his back foot in the ground and trigger downhill to break up the pass because he's got everything else. You know, I, I think he's got a good transition skills in terms of I don't see a stiff player even playing at two hundred pounds. I'm curious to see how Penn State is going to uh, have him play because he's not 6'2 or tall and long like Joey Porter Jr. to play over 200 pounds. They they usually don't have guys that are that big. They they have guys play a little leaner than that. So what does strength and conditioning at Penn State do for him? Um, and And where are the areas he can improve from a physical standpoint to unlock what is clearly a very good football player. And I think a very good pickup in the transfer portal. Uh,
1: do you have any doubt he will be part of that cornerback rotation?
2: Yeah, no, they need, they needed size. And that's why specifically he's a great fit is because size comes in all different forms and fashions. But right now what they have is they have a lot of guys that are five eleven, 185 190 pounds. Cam Miller needs to grow into his body a little bit more. And he's a leaner sort of athlete. Um, Kalen King isn't big. He plays big, but he, he's not all that big. Johnny Dixon's six feet tall, but he doesn't play with that level. Of intimidation. I, again, all these guys play with good physicality. I don't want to make it sound like they're soft or anything, but they don't have the strength and power to redirect bigger receivers. So it, they they needed a guy like that. Daniel Harris in uh, recruiting the guy who went to Georgia instead of Penn State, um, who was flirting with Penn State at the end there. He was in that mold as well of somebody who has a big wingspan, physicality, length, and could grow into that guy. And he would have the opportunity to step in pretty quickly and, into that role um so storm duck is going to be that guy that to me that's that then that makes him in the top three of the rotation because he has a skill that they need to establish in the room gotcha and
1: just one more question on your evaluation how dare you have a wife t frank come on
2: i know You're i know and storm duck was the first the room, one to commit i know i know <laughs> I did some woodworking this weekend. I did something where I wasn't staring at a screen and my eyeballs and my brain and my sleep patterns, they all thanked me for it. So Don't worry. We're back in. We're locked back in. I'm plugged back into the machine. Very
1: good. All right, that's what we want to hear, T-Frank. Let's go to the other commitment uh from the transfer portal who I do know you know about and that's Devin Carter, wide yep. receiver from North Carolina State. He's 6 foot 3, 215. So he has that length that we've been talking about at wide receiver that Penn State seems to have been lacking. Just looking over his stats over four years at NC State, it seemed like every year he was between 25 and 32 receptions for the year. He was at over 400 yards each year. Uh, The numbers were fairly consistent, but Mm -hmm. it – I believe he missed some games from injury and all. What can you tell us about Devin Carter and what he brings?
2: So I've watched Devin Carter in the past doing some other jobs, other work, and um, he was faster. I remember him being faster uh, when I watched him previously. But 6'3", 215, 220, somewhere in there, um, he brings physicality and size. And the reason he seems faster is because he's a good deep threat. So great length, great frame, big catch radius and a knack for getting behind ACC defenses. And I don't know if that matters. ACC to Big Ten. You know, I, I, it, even between conferences, we see there's a bit of translation. But Power Five football, he was the deep receiver for NC State in a very good offense. And I don't think people nationally know how good Devin Leary, his quarterback, uh, was for two seasons at NC State before he got injured this year and finished the season uh, not playing. So um, he was not the X, like he wasn't the guy. And then the year he was supposed to be the guy, 2022, he has an injury that I think did slow him down a little bit in the middle of the season. And then his quarterback, he's going through three young quarterbacks cycling through like drive to drive and play to play for the end of the season. So this year did not go the way he wanted it to for sure. And the way NC State wanted it to go. Um, but he brings all those things to the table. Kind of stormed. It's funny. He and storm duck had a great battle at the end of the season in that rivalry game where Devin Carter for most of the game got the better of him. Now on one, on the big play where Carter gets like 55 yards, storm duck trips, you know, in his back pedal or, you know, their feet get tangled up. Something happens. Storm duck falls over and, uh, and Devin Carter's wide open and he's racing down the sideline. So I, I don't necessarily put that on duck in terms of he lost coverage. He fell over. Right. Um, but they went back and forth in a battle of physical contested catches and each got a couple uh, Carter ended the, the game one for four in contested catch situations showing what, what duck can do, but also he got over a hundred yards and six catches in that game showing he, I, he has the ability to be um, a, a big play threat and a consistent multi-level threat. Cause that was really the thing he needed to work on throughout his career was uh, catching the football consistently and uh at every level of the field he's gotten better as a route runner i don't think he is a guy that you need to worry about in terms of can't run all the routes he's not going to be Jahan dotson he's not going to be a an electric route runner that creates great separation at all times but he has good physicality at the catch point he will catch the football when he's focused and that's the biggest thing is he never proved he could be the guy and in big situations he struggled so that's going to be what he has to answer at penn state that's why He's looking for a new home. That's why he's, That's what he's looking for in his final stop is to prove that he can be the guy and that he has what it takes to be an NFL receiver and improve his draft stock and all of those things. So Penn State gets size and physicality on the outside with both of these players, and I think that they're quality additions to what they already have. They complement each room really well. And Devin Carter has his one COVID year left. All right,
1: in the five seconds we have left, tell me about punter yeah. Riley Thompson.
2: He's a punter. I've never seen him punt, but apparently they needed a punter, which makes sense. So he will be a punter. Punt. Punting. Punter. <laughs> they needed a punter, and he's a punter, so he fits their needs. Great he's an evaluation. Aussie. He's an Aussie. I do know that. He's an Aussie punter, so they'll have that. <laughs> that cool thing. Very good. Thanks for that deep evaluation there,
1: T-Fried. That's it for quarter number one. We'll pick things up in quarter number two.
0: It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. We've been evaluating the transfer portal, talking about the players that came into Penn State, namely Storm Duck, the cornerback, Devin Carter, the wide receiver. And then we dug very deep into punter Riley Thompson. I I just got to credit you, deep, deep evaluation there on the punter, T. Frank. Yes. Fantastic job on your part.
2: (laughs) That's, That's what I do.
1: All right. Let's let's go the other route, T. Frank, and that's talking about the players that went out, went outward, uh, leaving Penn State. Mm-hmm. And a couple, the biggest name, of course, was uh, Christian Value. Absolutely no surprise there. Um, but from everything we're hearing, he handled the situation during the season very well. When Drew Aller surpassed him and became the number two guy. But as soon as the season was over, Value made the decision to leave, and he ended up at Pitt. Just my my question there is: You think that's a good fit for him, Pitt?
2: It's interesting that he went to a situation where he's not going to be the starter next year. So I find I find the, the the juxtaposition of leaving Penn State and going to a place where you're the guy in waiting is very interesting. And obviously like the timeline would not work for him at Penn state. So I'm not saying he did anything wrong, but it is just interesting that a guy went into the transfer portal and didn't have short term sighted. I want to start right away. He's going to go sit behind Phil Djokovic and be uh, the heir apparent. So, you know, kind of reinforces the one or two times I got to talk to him. He seemed like a very mature kid. He seemed like he had, uh, a, you know, a good self self, uh, awareness without being insecure or being, you know, like, uh, lacking confidence, riding that line right between confidence and, uh, you know, self-awareness and, and, and to find this situation, you know, I, I, tentatively, it's a good situation, but you know, what happens next is all uh, going to determine whether or not he made the right choice of, is he going to win the starting job at some point, And will he play and play well? So with as much time as he has in the transfer portal, uh, you know, he he stayed local, so he's not too far away from home. All of these things point to a mature decision by a mature young man who, uh, you know, you wish the best for.
1: I think all Penn State fans do. There are players that leave where sometimes the fans resent it. I don't think that's the case here at all. It was expected. Like you, I was just a little surprised that he's going into a situation where he's not going to have the opportunity to start right away. He's got to wait his turn. Perhaps there was—I don't want to say assurances. Few coaches are going to do that, but that he is definitely the heir apparent. Maybe it was we're not going to bring someone else in the following year. Um, we'll we'll see how that plays out. Let's talk about some of these other names. And I don't think there's any names that caused Penn State fans to go, oh, no, so-and-so player left. But I want to ask you about them. There's Fatorma, Moba, Devon Townley, Rodney McGraw, Jeffrey Davis, Malik McNeil. Any of those names intrigue you and make you say, boy, I bet Penn State wishes he didn't leave because there was a, a lot of potential there?
2: It, hmm, I'm trying to make the the response no longer than 15 seconds. And I think by explaining <laughs> that, I've done so. So, no.
1: Which, which kind of fits in with um, what I believe the Penn State fan base thinks also. Now, Rodney McGraw did, of that group, I think he's the only one who committed. He committed to Louisville, mm-hmm. um, an ACC team, so good for him. But I think what you have now, not just at Penn State, but through college football, the philosophy is players are coming in as freshmen. I believe they're better prepared than they ever have been in the past. You're getting young players who are coming right in and playing. And if you're not one of those players who's played right away, if you're in the system for two years and you're not getting on the field, it's probably time to move on. And perhaps even the coaching staff hints that or even more than hints that to you
2: yeah so I think Devon Townley and I want to I want to rephrase what I said because he played at defensive end Penn State you know they recruited five-star defensive ends and and recruited through the portal other five-star defensive ends. so Penn State is not going to miss a player like Devon Townley uh no disrespect to Devon but he does have talent um the development was interesting because I thought as he got bigger, he would get a little more twitchier because he had a big frame. He turned into more of a power sort of player, um, just from the observation, but there, you know, there was there, there there is talent there. He's going to be a guy that plays somewhere, I think, or should be able to play somewhere. Um, but beyond that, I I don't, I I don't, I, I don't think that there's, there's a ton here to be, uh, to be missing. Now I've already forgot. What was your next question? Cause I was, I was rephrasing my previous one. What, what was your next question?
1: Here? Uh, let's see. How did I phrase that? Uh, the, the, are the coaches James Franklin talks about having the honest discussion yeah. with players. Some would call that processing, but so, I think no, that
2: I, I don't think that they kick guys out of the program. I think that they stay clearly Here's the depth chart. Here's what's going on. Here's what we project. Here's what you need to do to change that reality. But I don't think they kick guys out of the program. I don't think they tell people, you need to move on. Um, you know, with guys that have reached the end of their um, recruitment, normal college cycle with all the COVID stuff going on, there there is a little bit of that, I would imagine. But when it comes to young players who, uh, you know, still have – Scholarship years left. They not. They're not going to give up on any of these guys. The, I think the guys see what's going on. So that's that's more the reality. And, and it's one of those things that maybe you don't even have to say. Everyone understands. I guess is what I'm what I'm getting at is it's an unsaid thing. But at the same time, James Franklin talks about everyone's on their own clock. And I don't. I, I just don't believe the way that they conduct themselves. They're kicking, like basically kicking guys out uh, of uh, with no room to rent, sort of thing.
1: No, I don't think they do that. But I do think they express, as you pointed out, look, it hasn't happened for you. You've gotten younger guys. It's going to be a struggle for you to get onto the field and then yeah. let the, the player make his own decision. And let's face it, most of these guys, they want to play. So yeah. if if it means moving on to get on the field, that's what they do. Another interesting name is Bryce Effner. Uh, this past week mm-hmm. he made the decision not necessarily to get into the transfer portal, but he's had his fill of college football, and I don't know if retirement <laughs> is the right word, but he's made the decision to move on. Were you surprised by that, and what effect do you think that has on Penn State's offensive line?
2: So I guess I'm not surprised by it. Um Uh, He's had a lot of injuries in his career. I mean, he battled through a lot of stuff. And um, if he's not going to the NFL and he's coming back for another year of college, and if if he doesn't have it in his heart and he doesn't think he's going to be an NFL football player and he's just playing college football to play college football, um, at some point, you don't have to go farther than the injuries. So that's been his story is he hasn't been able to stay healthy for a long period of time. And he's going out on top as a Rose Bowl champion where he filled in at right tackle very well this year. So what they're missing, what they're losing to me is the highest quality backup that you could find. A, a starting caliber player at certain uh, skills. He was uh, the, the right side of the offensive line, the T formation. If you go back and, and look at all of the times they ran the ball in short yardage situations, they're running right. They're running behind him and Sal Wormley and more times than not, they are dominating the edge and giving the running backs the alley to then get the first down and his ability to impact people as an undersized tackle coming back from an injury where we didn't expect him to play this year. Like the reporting coming into camp was don't expect anything from Bryce. Like, you know, he, he got injured. It's not in the cards. And then suddenly he's out there and he's, he's playing and he's, part of the two deep. And then suddenly he's not just a co-starter. He's the starter for the end of the season. So uh, they're they're losing that reliability and dependability. And he played guard at some points in his career. And he was good as a run blocker there. It's just like uh, the violence with which he plays. Apparently his frame cannot handle consistently. So what they lose is now they were going to have four tackles. For the first time ever, they're going to have four deep at tackle and they wouldn't have to rely on a freshman to be part of that conversation with both Caden Wallace and Ulu Fashinu coming back and then the development of Drew Shelton. So last season, they got to their fourth tackle, a true freshman. This next year, that's going to be one of Alex Birchmeyer or Javen Williams. And now you've got the situation of if you get down to your fourth tackle, it's a freshman again, and they are super talented. But how many times can you rely on that? <laughs> how many times are you going to have to finish the season uh, for a month with, with, a, with a true freshman tackle? Um, so they're back in that boat. But at the same time, they have made progress where their top three starters are starting caliber. And that is uh, a good place to be. You'd love to have Bryce Effner back so that you had that full complement, but they don't. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how next year plays out with that group.
1: And you also have to understand, playing college football, it's a tough job, especially when you're in the trenches. And without the promise of that multi-million dollar contract in the NFL, it's a tough gig, one that he's been doing for many years. And as you mentioned, and we're going to hit on this, the players that are staying, what's nice to see for Penn State at that position is both all... Alou Fashionu and Caden Wallace have both declared that they're coming back for next year. So I think for the first time in a while, the offensive line showed themselves pretty well this season with even more promise for next year. Right, T. Frank?
2: Yeah, I think that there's not you can't question. And this is why when Penn State fans are are incredibly exuberant about the future, They have every right to be because this is one of the first times I said this a week or two ago on one of our live shows that this is the first time that they have the chance to be a complete team. You've got the option to kick one of those tackles inside if you don't have a guy that can pass block and run block. So Sal Wormley struggled this year in pass protection. And if they are being honest about who the best five players are and one of them can't pass protect, that doesn't fly next year. It shouldn't. So they need to find the the the, the stable of players, the, the best five that can execute in every situation. They have the opportunity to have that next year, which sets a very high floor for the running game and for your new quarterback, whoever that is. So that is a huge benefit. But the offensive line can't throw or catch the football. So all that's still to be determined. But they've got a great baseline to start.
1: I have a pretty good idea who that new quarterback might be. That yeah. is it for segment number two. Stick around, quarter three.
0: Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. This is quarter number three, which means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions and we ask them of T. Frank at the end of the segment. T. Frank will say, you know what, that is our best question. And whoever sent us the best question, they will get a prize packet from our buddies at 409 Tailgate club.com that means some of their great coffee barbecue rubs and before we get started with this segment t frank as you pointed out you're not in your normal studio you're in a different room and i'm looking over your left shoulder at something on your desk Mm -hmm. would you mind turning around and reading that to our audience because i think it's it's a lot of fun go
2: ahead so So first off, I'm in the same room, but you wouldn't know it because it's completely been redone over the weekend. Uh, But it says we interrupt this marriage to bring you football season. And Zoe bought that for me five years ago. And it is one of the most true things. It's one of those like live, laugh, love signs. (laughs) But it's more accurate to what our life actually is. So it finally, for the first time since I moved from Pine Grove Studio B, it finally has a home here uh in in the new studio and i'm i'm happy about that
1: okay well and and i appreciate the fact that it came from your wife if you had brought it into the house and it, it creates a whole different narrative so let's get started with our questions and let's start with doug from wellsboro who says t frank how do you anticipate penn state's passing game changing with drew Aller as quarterback I assume a lot will be dictated
2: by the personnel that's on the two deep next year. It will be what he's good at. So that's the number one thing is, is going to be what he's good at. And secondarily, how do I anticipate it changing? I think it will be simpler. I think they will do fewer things and they'll have less of the playbook to go through because their quarterback is in a sixth year that understands multiple different concepts at the level of which he did. That is that is uh, as basic as you can get to of like the knowledge gap between him and Sean Clifford is why Sean Clifford was playing this year. So I would expect that they're going to do uh, a little bit more pre designed plays and a little bit more, maybe more deep shots next year, depending on uh, how, how Aller performs and what we don't know about him. You know, he he shows the propensity to throw beautiful layered, accurate deep balls with good zip and all of those things. So that's again about the offensive line is they should have a very good unit that can pass protect and hold up at a deeper drops. So more deep crossing routes should be open next year, more double moves. You should have a little bit more time to do all those things. If the, if the whole thing can work together. So that would be the first thing in my mind is try to design easier open throws for him, and if you can take advantage of his arm strength, have more deep shots in the offense while still maintaining a basis of run the football, play action passing, taking as much off his plate as possible, and letting the other players go to work. Because that's the other thing is this running unit should be very good next year. Teams should be afraid of it. So you should have favorable numbers in the passing game so all of this should set up to have a a pretty soft landing spot for uh drew aller is the guy we're expecting but whomever like that it is still technically going to be an open competition next year so however that works out i don't want to completely discount and discredit and ignore Bo perbula who is a good football player so that's going to be a part of it and uh the read option game is still going to be there but i think we'll see About as much of it as we saw with Sean Clifford this year.
1: Let's go to Rob D. from Burbank, California, by way of Reading and Easton. Rob says, "Um, I'm making the bold statement that the spirit of Franco Harris was with the team during the Rose Bowl. After all, he did win a Super Bowl in that stadium. My question is, is Franco Harris the best Penn State pro player ever?
2: Well, Rob, it sounds like you're uh a football historian. I am a microwave live in the moment sort of person, uh, so I don't have the depth of knowledge and expertise that you do, but it's a shor- like I, it's a it's a shorter list of Penn State players in the pros than than uh I guess I thought initially. and he's a Hall of famer, so it's hard to find many players better than uh than franco harris and and, any of the any of the names that are coming to mind none of them have that level of um impact i think
1: since i get the questions ahead of time t frank
2: yes please save me save save the 30 year old (laughs) who didn't ever watch franco harris uh play football please i'm drowning here
1: plus i'm an old man so by the way i think what's really fascinating is at when he was in college Um, He wasn't considered the best running back on that team because they also had Lydell Mitchell at the time. And I remember thinking, and I was a young man at the time, but I remember being surprised when Franco Harris was selected prior to Lydell Mitchell in the draft. So that's kind of interesting, and kudos to the Steelers uh, scouting department for doing that. It's hard to say who was the absolute best, but let me throw out a couple other names. For you, besides Franco Harris, how about Mike Munchak? How about Jack Ham?
2: How about Lenny Moore, which is going way back? I Clearly, I panicked and didn't think of any of these (laughs) players in the moment. Yes. Mike Munchak, you know, you can make the argument Mike Munchak because he was also an excellent coach. You know, he's been one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL for several decades. I don't know where he is currently, if he's still in the league, but. You know, at one point he got to he rose to the level of a head coach. But, you know, one of one of one of the best assistants of the last 25 years on the offensive line and top three at his position, uh, you know, coaching wise. And then, of course, an excellent football player in his own right. And Jack Ham, duh, obviously, is part of that conversation.
1: One last name to throw out there for you, which is Rosie Greer, which a lot of people know him as an actor. Remember mm-hmm. him as a Los Angeles Ram, and people don't remember that he was a Penn State Nittany Lion. So just a couple other names for you to consider, Rob. Uh, let's see. Let's move on. Where do we go from here? Let's go to Mike and Carlisle, who says, I feel that amongst the general Penn State fan base, there's an assumption that Drew Aller will be the second coming at quarterback for Penn State. I, too, am excited to see him develop and hopefully become a high-level team leader or producer at the quarterback position. My question in fear, are the expectations and the bar set too high for Drew Aller?
2: No, the expectations are always set too high for any good football player or five-star or potential player. Like, one of the reasons I do what I do, one of the reasons I do T. Frank's Film Room at Blue-White Illustrated, to give you an idea of, okay, here's the road map. So it's not just going to be the kid is five stars and he comes in and plays excellent and he's going to be the next first round the, the next first round draft pick at quarterback. Here's what he's working with from a talent perspective. Here are some of his areas of development that may not develop. That's part of the story. So the answer is yes. The expectations are always too high. And the guys who rise and meet those expectations are the ones that are truly like that we gush over. You know, Nick Singleton met those expectations, but I would say he he just met those expectations. He did not have a take the world by storm season. He was a freshman. He had inconsistencies. He had big games. He relied on explosive running plays to, to generate, you know, a thousand yards this year, but he got to a thousand yards. He can be so much better. And, you know, that step this upcoming year, I think, is going to be whether, you know, he reaches the level of those expectations as a five-star. And that's on an appropriate timeline, in my opinion, based on the offense he came out of in high school. For Drew Aller, like I said, when Penn State fans wanted him to start this year, you have to learn all of football in an offseason. And maybe he knows more than most people, but it takes a lot to be an expert, like a, a true master to understand and operate and, and thrive the way that you want Aller to thrive. What the team can do for him is put him in a situation where you don't know what he's bad at because they don't do it a whole lot. Go back to the Rose Bowl. Uh, Sean Clifford didn't have to throw nine routes down the sideline. He threw a couple of them, uh, you know, true like a slot fade to Mitchell Tinsley, and he missed that play. But Utah never forced the ball out there, so he never had to make hard throws that he could that were not part of his main strengths. So... I don't know what those weaknesses are for Aller, so I can't tell you what they need to avoid. One thing I I have an idea is pressure and blitzes seem to this year put him uh, on guard, but he's also a freshman. So how does he rise to that level? I've seen him play in high school where he was blitzed and there were seven and eight guys coming after him and he handled it really well, but you know, how does that translate to the next level? How does that translate to now? And how quickly does that translate? All of those things are going to set up what Penn State can and can't do on offense next year, which will evolve as the season goes on.
1: T. Frank, last week we got questions on Ask Andy about uh, Drew Aller, and I'm sure every week we're going to get questions on Drew Aller. Yeah. But one And the question to Andy was regarding – Uh, drew aller compared to christian hackenberg and anthony morelli and the concern was that he would be one of these five-star busts Mm -hmm. but one of the things i brought up and i'd like you to speak to it because i was quoting you on this one of the things drew aller seems to have going for him is he was much improved from his junior year to his senior year in high school yeah and watching him in the blue-white game versus what little we saw of him in games in the fall, there seemed to be a lot of improvement there also. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's a stagnant project. He's improving
2: and willing yeah. to be coached. Yes, absolutely. And he's got a great football mind. Let's let's start with what it means to be a five-star and what that conversation is. And like a lot of it is based just on your height and your arm strength and kind of your your tangible skills because the intangible stuff of um, what you do on the football field is is especially the last 10 years has been so much better for scouting of high school football players more stuff is on film you're not relying just on highlight reels you're not looking at does the guy drop back and is he a pocket passer and a dual threat we kind of done away with all of that nonsense and we focus more on some of the more important things And you're right. Drew Aller has a mind for football. So he is not just the height and the arm strength and the prototype stuff. He has shown over time that he understands concepts. He can make quick decisions and he is, you know, a a, I don't say transcendent, but like he has a bit of the the things that are going to prevent him from being a guy that can't play but it's to the level at which he plays and how quickly and how consistently is going to determine a lot of the future of that
1: fantastic all right t frank that's it for quarter number three stick around quarter number four we'll pick up our talk of penn state personnel changes and we're going to name our winner stay tuned
3: hey guys this is andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set
0: We head to the home stretch in quarter number 4 on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T Frank Carr and it's quarter number 4 of our show. Before we do anything else, T Frank we need a winner from segment number three. Who do you got?
2: Yeah, I liked Mike and Carlisle. Uh, not just because I like Mike, but because I thought his question was good. Uh, you know, the 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 conversation around expectations is one of the is one of the things like I'm most passionate about. Of you're this is this never comes out right, but like if you're coming in with incomplete information. And that's why, you know, we do this show is to give you more information, but you're coming in with incomplete information and a hard opinion. I think that you're, you're doing a disservice to the player. Um, and, and that's really, you know, getting down to like the offensive lineman, which one of the three in this class are going to be in 2023 are going to be a tackle. Well, let's look at their skills and let's look at how they play instead of just looking at their highlight reel or their size and let's find the best fit. And with Drew Aller, like let's look at what he does and what he doesn't do. And let's, take some time to learn about those things before we set the expectation of a national championship, which by the way, uh, Max Duggan got to the national championship and, and Penn State doesn't play in the big 12. So they don't have as easy of a path, but like it does challenge the notion that you need to have an elite quarterback to get to the college football playoff. Uh, so that doesn't even need to be what drew Aller is next year, but you know, it certainly helps to have an elite quarterback, but all those expectations, all of that fomenting passion it, so, you know, just directing it in the right way or in a way that is less destructive, uh, I think, to the individual with the passion and the player. That is what I'm very passionate about is like steering this energy in a in, in, a, in a positive way. So Mike allowed me to do that and he gets the win. And by the way, if you have George's talent all around you,
1: you could have a walk on quarterback win a national championship, too.
0: Yeah,
2: well, he's uh, he's good. I, I I hadn't seen him play. Uh, a whole lot and then I watch a little bit of the Ohio State game and then a little bit of this one and he's again he's fitting balls into zones down the field he's not just uh dinking and ducking dunking like he was in his career early he's generating offense now a couple of those were wide the hell open and he does have NFL talent everywhere but he got them the football like being the trigger man is it, still not easy because you need to know where to go with the football in each play and and he 65 points. Damn.
1: <laughs> well, it also leads to my favorite football baseball analogy when a scouting quarterbacks, the easy thing to scout is if the kid is six foot four and has a rocket for an arm, he's going to get a lot of stars in the scouting report. Just like if a pitcher could throw the ball 98 miles an hour, he's going to get highly regarded what's harder to measure is everything else as a quarterback. And yep. until you see them live, you can't see them in shorts doing this, but okay. Are they accurate? But are they are accurate under pressure? So those are hard things to categorize like arm strength. It's why you see most of those five-star guys, like I said, they're big, they're strong with a huge yeah. arm.
2: One Let's last thing. On. Yeah, Sorry. Go ahead. I know you wanted to move on. One last thing. I want to round out the conversation on Drew Aller. What you just said there at the end, I think, is the missing sauce for him from later in the year is just confidence as he went out there in the first couple games and just threw the football. I think as he learned more and as he was more integrated in the offense and as uh, he saw more complex defenses later in the year, like he didn't have the confidence to go out and do what he knows how to do. So confidence is uh, all the ball game. You know, and I think that that as long as he and again, or Bo Perbulo, who does not lack confidence, who has zero (laughs) confidence problems from everything I've seen of him, um, that's going to be a major factor in, in the level of play, because like we talked about, Drew has a lot of talents, both mental and physical, and just unlocking them. Part of it can just be, is he comfortable doing it and playing under pressure, something he did well in high school that I didn't. It was back and forth throughout the year, was not consistently good. But we've seen him be good, so just confident in those situations, and and that's understanding what you've seen, and he's going to see things next year that he's never seen before, uh, or at least he's personally never seen before. He's watched Sean go through it, but that's a big part in the big story from next year, the end. And I'm because done.
1: okay, and because I can't let you have the final word on it, what I'll yeah. add is this: I, you make such a great point about confidence, and I'm going to talk about Sean Clifford for just one second. Is I swear to you, Frank, I swear, if you just watched on TV, you did not have to see the end result of his passes. All you had to do is watch his release Mm. when he was confident, stepped into his pass. You just said, this is going to be a completion. And it was. When he's off his back foot, you know, just you could see his mind scrambling. He's not sure where he's going. You're just going, "Uh uh-oh, I'm scared of the end result here. And you could just even see that play-by-play with Sean Clifford. Let's get back to our topic of the day, though, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, personnel changes, players uh, moving on either through the transfer portal, or I'm going to go with now players declaring for the draft some Joey Porter was an obvious he's a first round draft pick mm-hmm. he was going we knew it it was a smart decision if he didn't go I'd be saying what in the world are you thinking okay that was this a uh, smart decision to make the players the other players that declared for the draft though I did not have that same feeling and I'm just going to bring up the names Brenton Strange Nick Tarburton Parker Washington and Juice Scruggs mm-hmm. now we know this is all a personal decision. They may be just, hey, they're done with college. They want to move on for whatever the reason. That's their decision. But, T. Frank, are there any of these guys that you scratched your head and said, you know, I get it if he wants to move on, but but he probably could have used another year of college football and improved his draft stock?
2: No. Um, the only one I say that I, that I would say, yeah, kind of is Parker Washington because there's a picture of him on a scooter at the, at the Rose bowl. So like he opted out of the game, he wasn't going to be playing in the game. Like he was hurt. He was not going to play. So this is the second off season where he's had some sort of injury or some sort of situation, you know, just from, from not having contact in the spring last year, not being a part of the blue white game. Now he ends this year injured. You know, that's the only thing is health. But then you can say, well, he hasn't been healthy. He wants to go make money and he has the talent. So sure. So but so that would just be the the timing of the health and the timing of the injury. And can he participate this offseason? Um, what's his body going to look like, you know, physically at the combine? But let's talk about individual players here. Brenton Strange finished with 362 yards and five touchdowns. He's the H back. What are you expecting of him from a output standpoint as a fan? Are you expecting him to be Pat Fryermuth? Because, like, you know, his role in the offense is different. He's not the primary pass catcher. Uh, that's Theo Johnson is the primary deep pass catcher who lines up at, at the Y. And not that that, uh, you know, um, Pat played the Y all the time at Penn State, but Breton plays a very specific role and he played his his job very well this year. That guy does a lot of the dirty work and he, you're not seeing him all the time. The highlight level blocks and the run blocking this year I thought was very good. So everyone expects a certain level of like all-star to go to the NFL, but certain positions, you you meet the requirements of the job at the next level. And then Juice, Juice Scruggs at center is the same thing. How many, how many all-American centers can you name? Um, and if you're not a first-round pick as a center... And if he goes in the fifth or sixth round, like that's where starting centers come from. That's where guys in the NFL, you find centers because it's not tackle is so physically demanding that there's a, there's a rigorous set of criteria physically that you need to have guard kind of the same thing in a different way. And there's a little bit more mix and match there, but with center you're protected on either side. A lot of the time by guards. So, It's about the mental side of things It's about the technique. Again, if you're not a first round center, it's about, can you do the job? And, and and juice has proven this year that he can do the job. And then it becomes like, how good is he? I think we'll find out when it comes to the height, weight, speed test and all those things, but he's big. He's over 310 pounds. He got bigger this off season. Uh, He moves well and he's mature. Like he's an adult. Now he's been at Penn state for four or five years. Like the, it's time to move on for some of these guys. And just because they didn't have an all American or all big 10 season doesn't mean that they're not good NFL prospects Uh, and good NFL prospects go in the fourth and fifth round. That's why they, the prioritizing of positions is a
1: thing. There were very good explanation there, T Frank. Now there are a couple other players that we found out in the past week or so that are staying, which are Mm -hmm. Adisa Isaac and Devon Ellie's which I think from a Penn State fan perspective, that's good for the team. And I think the couple of players where a decision is still pending are Curtis Jacobs and Theo Johnson. This is based on the timing that we're recording this. Uh, Thoughts on those four players?
2: Well, let's start with the guys that I think came back to improve their draft stock and that made, I think, a a wise decision because Adisa Isaac had a bounce back year after an Achilles injury, but it's not what he can be. We've seen him be more athletic and more explosive, but I thought he played with good physicality this year, which was something I was concerned about, you know, just in his profile of a guy who struggles to consistently be over 250 uh, or in that ballpark. He's a year older, more mature goes through the injury. He's going to have a bounce back year in the weight room. You're going to see significant strides in his physical ability, and he can push to be the thing that we thought he might be, which is a first or second round pick. You know, like he has that opportunity because this was a good year baseline. The next year to improve, Theo Johnson, I can predict a breakout year for him where he could be a first round pick at tight end if he's featured in the offense. He gets 800 yards receiving, seven touchdowns. He improved his run blocking significantly at the end of the year, so he could be. He could prove himself to be a complete Y in line tight end. And if that's the case, absolutely. You know, like he's made a great decision. Olufashinu coming back that. It, Already a first round pick, securing a top five position, being a year older, more mature on the offensive line. Great decision. Caden Wallace, again, injury and uh, circumstance and, and having borderline profile as a tackle specifically, putting together a full season of good football under Phil Troutwine another year. Another another player that I think made a good decision of coming back and improving their draft stock while also coming back to a team that you expect to be successful. And then Devon Ellie's. Uh, you know, uh, he brings a veteran presence, to a defensive tackle position from a defensive uh, and and team building standpoint. It's good to have veteran depth, but they still need an uh, They still need another guy at that position. I think they still need a top line starter unless he makes significant changes in, in strides in what he is as a football player this offseason, because uh, 300 pounds, six one good, you know, big 10 defensive tackle, but not I don't think this is anything disrespectful, not PJ Mustafar and not a guy that I I've seen that flashes the ability to be the standout player at that position. So finding another guy to pair with him, I think is very important this off season and has been one of the, the struggles in the portal.
1: Very good. T Frank. That's it. Gotta be it for the show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone kickoff show.